0: welcome to inside the album i'm don seckler that's tommy hilkin i don't know which way you'll be in the video <laughs>
1: it's okay don. it's all good welcome back my friend
0: yeah so we've been away we're gonna try and pop in here and do episodes when we can of course yep. you know we're both uh working men and i'm uh, fairly busy these days so which is good yep. um But anyway, we're back, and we are here this week. We are going to talk about a great album from the 1970s. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about our charity that we are working for. And why don't you tell us a little bit, Tommy, about musicformark.com.
1: There you go, Don. Good to see you, man. And this is Inside the Album, which is fantastic. So good to get back in. And who would ever thought we'd be doing an album from the 1970s? But I think that's where I, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where I
0: another the, one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Iconic albums. If you really make the list, the seventies does it. So music for Mark, you know, going forward, uh, really looking forward to next year, really putting this together, getting it rocking. What we want to do is uh, we're putting benefits together, a little bit of a foundation where we're going to bring musical instruments to kids who can't get them, can't get their hands on them. And uh, we want to put them in their hands and keep the world of music going. You know, you and I, one thing we reason we're even here is what music has meant in our life and what it has done for us. You know, I don't know where I'd be without music and the love of music. So just want to keep it alive. The Music for Mark Foundation is going to be bringing musical instruments to kids. So if you have an old instrument, old guitar we've even had somebody give us a trombone which is fantastic and what we're going to do is we're going to bring it out to the kids who want to learn the musical instruments so musicformark.com. look forward to connecting with you with that
0: yeah so awesome all right so let's uh let's talk about the album we're gonna be discussing today and it is the eagles hotel california let's talk about the band first pretty i think probably most people who are listening to classic rock understand most of the guys in the eagles the lineup was mixed up a little bit over the years and there was a major change right before this album that we'll we'll talk about that influenced the music in a a big way Mm -hmm. Um, but we start off there's don felder who's on guitar with some vocals glenn fry also another guitar player with vocals Don Henley, where and Don Henley's the lead singer of the band, but he's right. also the drummer, which is very unusual. You know, you, it's not very often you see a lead singer as a drummer. Um, and then we have Randy Meisner on bass and also with some backup vocals. And all of these guys sang, as we know, that the harmonies for the Eagles were were unbelievable, like almost to the level of like the Beach Boys and, the, and that kind of stuff. And then, uh, lastly, the new guy, new kid on the block, was or the new kid in town, <laughs> is Joe Walsh, who uh, was brought into the band to give the band a little bit of a more of a rock edge. Came in and and did some things that were a little bit heavier and a little bit more, you know, distortion in the sound, and it really kind of, you know, put pushed the Eagles in a different direction because they were very kind of. Soft rock before this, so you know in this in the early seventies, this album was recorded in ni- at the end of nineteen seventy six in December of nineteen seventy six, and before that, the Eagles were very. It was very laid back. That Southern California, and it still is on on this album as well. But they didn't really have an edge. It was a little bit more, almost to the countryside, you know. Mm-hmm so uh joe walsh made a big difference in the band and uh you know the, the, of course the, everybody on that list is, is a, a, everybody on that list is pretty much a legend so the album was the uh this is the sixth album released by the eagles but that also includes a greatest hits album so it's it's technically the f- fifth album of new material and it was recorded in between March and October of 1976 in Miami and then also Los Angeles. And it was released, like I said before, on uh, December 8th of 1976. So when I look at this album, I don't think of it as a 1976 album. I really think of it as a 1977 album because it was released at the end of the year. And most of the airplay came, you know, through december january february so we moved it fully into 1977 there so at the time on the charts uh you know we've talked about 1977 over and over and over again with with a bunch of different albums yeah uh, but the popular albums at the time for the year were were rumors by and mac Nevermind the bullocks sex pistols the yeah. stranger by billy joel uh, the first Clash album was out that year, and then also uh, Street Survivors from Leonard Skinner. Yeah. So, even though it's the middle, you know, the kind of the middle of the '70s here, it's quite a diversity in terms of the the music that was out there. There was a real soft kind of stuff, like like the Billy Joel, you know, you ha- and Fleetwood Mac. I guess is kind of falls into that bucket. Yep. Yeah some punk bands. You've got the Sex Pistols and the Clash at the, at the same year here. And then Southern Rock. I mean, you know, pretty much everything's here except ska.
1: Well, when you think about it, you just said Southern Rock, right? You don't even hear that anymore. Everything is just so blended today. But Southern Rock was big in our life, man, when you think about it, right? Yeah. The new writers at Purple Sage, Marshall Tucker, The Outlaws. Yeah. yeah,
0: there were a lot of those, a lot of those kind of country rock bands, right?
1: Right. Guys, country guys who learned how to rock, you know, Yeah, yeah. like the outlaws, you know, the the guitar army, it was all about the guitar. So great. Right.
0: It was a lot of long guitar solos, right. A lot of group guitar solos, you know, and the Eagles did that too, where they had two guys play the same, you know, the same exact solo over each other. And it it comes out amazing when done well, sounds awful when done poorly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But in layers, it's so good.
0: And,
1: you know, we've seen all these guys live. So, you know, it's, the, uh, the power of the guitars is just tremendous. But, you know, 77, yeah, I graduated high school in
0: 77. So nice.
1: it makes me smile. Those years of high school music <laughs> was tremendous, man, you
0: know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the only, a- the, I was going to say, the only thing I can think of today that kind of is in this genre of, uh, or in that genre of Southern rock, not the Eagles, but like we're talking about, like Leonard Skinner and things, it's probably Chris Stapleton, who's really a country artist, but he has some rock edge. So he kind of goes the other way. Whereas Leonard Skinner and those bands were rock bands with a country edge. You know, Stapleton is a country artist with a rock edge. And so I yeah. think, you, you know, that's yeah. kind of the closest to what you would find today.
1: Well, you know what it is, country. It's through the years. Like we said, it was Southern rock and there was country. You know, country music was country music. It wasn't popular. Country music exploded. So these guys want to be rockers, but they know that to stay country, keeps them much more relevant in a very lucrative world right now yeah. of country music yeah it really is it's a great yeah. way to look at
0: it so I'm this album yeah <laughs> so this album uh, entered the u.s charts at number four you know the eagles already had a couple under their belt and, and had a couple of hits and were already fair, pretty popular so the the album this album entered the charts at, at four in the united states it reached number one on its fourth week in january of 1977 And it was number one for eight weeks Mm. and you know i don't know i don't know how the charts go these days i I think there's less of this but back in the day an album would get up there and stay there for a month or two months you know i don't think that happens as often today but it's a whole different environment with with the streaming and everything now it's not record sales
1: just the fact that we're saying album yeah that's what it was (laughs) You know, there was the singles charts back then. It was the Billboard Top 100. Right. Uh, and then there was albums, right? So to get an album to be number one is tremendous because people, well, again, people used to buy the album for the song. Right. It was still the same way to go. You always had yeah. to have that release of the hit single that had people go out and buy the album. Different yeah. times back then. And bands touring just to sell the album. That's what I always exactly. remember. That. Yeah. Touring was so big.
0: Yeah, it was flop back then because you now they they release the albums so they can go out on tour and they make more money from touring than they do from sales.
1: Which is yeah, well, you know.
0: Yeah, so yeah, I know. Yeah,
1: I know. My first concert was like seven fifty.
0: Yeah. Right. right
1: now I'm going to see Clapton for three hundred.
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, you know, and so I think when you have an album, and this album is packed with with songs that were very popular. So when that happens, you get the sustainability and you get up there at the top of the chart for a long period of time. Yep. So the end result, and this is after many, many years, but the album has sold 26 million in the US. So it, it was a huge hit record back then and continues to be very popular, uh, you know, probably amongst the older crowd today.
1: <laughs> it uh, it took over the airwaves, Don.
0: Oh, yeah. There you yeah.
1: go. That's a blast from the past. <laughs>
0: Yes, definitely.
1: It, so, the, the Eagles sat down with Scott Muni.
0: Right. Well, that's when you had three three radio stations to pick from, right? There were three oh. rock stations in New York. And and then it was
1: Philadelphia, it. yeah. Thank yeah. you. Those were the places to go.
0: So the album was also ranked number 37 on Rolling Stone Magazine's uh, list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Wow. So, uh, yeah.
1: 37.
0: Yeah. So pretty popular there with the Rolling Stone editors. Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing, and I kind of uh, was talking about this a little bit in the, in the past uh, or previously we were just chatting about Joe Walsh. So uh, Bernie Leadon, who was the original, uh, mostly the country influence to the band, left the band after the release of the previous album, One of These Nights.
2: Mm.
0: So when it came to doing Hotel California, the band made a conscious decision to move away from that country sound. Mm. And move more into a rock and roll sound, you know. So you've got Victim of Love, Life in the Fast Lane, those types of songs, which were a lot heavier, doing it now, you know, are a lot faster. And so uh, that was all Joe Walsh, you know. He was, uh, Bernie was replaced by Joe Walsh who came in right away. And one of his um, opening riffs was the life in the fast lane riff. It was again, one of those exercises, you know, they talk about the guitar player exercises turning that's into so songs. Funny. And that's what this was.
1: Yeah, um, you know, what's funny. I, I I saw a story of him doing that exercise. And Glenn Fry heard it. Yes. And said, my God, what is that? <laughs> and he goes, that's how I warm up before anytime I play. My-. And he was like, no, right.
0: Song there, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Right.
1: That's beautiful. I love that.
0: Yeah. So it's Joe Walsh, just, just amazing. Great talent. Just one right. of my all time favorites. Love seeing that guy laugh. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he brought a whole new spirit to the band because, you know, let's put it this way, you know, Joe Walsh, a Jersey guy, by the way, let's yes. go down out there. Yeah, boy. He, you know, he's a little left of center. He's not your, uh, he's not your everyday ordinary person. He's right. He's, he's an interesting cat.
0: And I think that, and the interesting thing about it, I think there's one guy, and I'm not sure who, just one of the guys from the Eagles is from California. So the rest of them, like you said, Joe Walsh is from Jersey. I didn't, you know, they're from all over the country. And so a lot of this, which is interesting because you think of them as the penultimate California band, right? right? And this, they're, they're like the, you know, they're like the flag bearer for that laid back California sound that was around in the seventies of uh, right. Jackson Brown. And, um, you know, uh, I guess Bonnie Raitt was probably in there a little bit. and Todd
1: Rundgren.
0: Yeah. Todd Rundgren. And so all this stuff that was, you know, fairly popular at the time, very mellow kind of laid back, almost like almost stoner music, I would say, you know, very, you know, floaty and drifty.
1: And on the flip side, you got a band like Credence, that everybody thought was like from the Bayou and in, in, in New Orleans and Louisiana. And they were actually a California band.
0: Right. Right. So, yeah. you know, sometimes the the story doesn't line up with the actual reality.
1: Yeah. You just create the image and go with it. Right. <laughs> yeah. It works.
0: So uh, here's a copy of the album cover. It's pr- uh, fairly iconic. It's a, a picture of the Beverly Hills hotel that was shot just before sunset by David Alexander they shot this picture they had the idea that they wanted to do a hotel obviously because it's hotel california they had the f- first song was hotel california so that was the whole basis for the album so they had them go out and shoot a bunch of the hotels around california and the beverly hills hotel was the one that they picked and it's a you know it's a pretty iconic uh, picture of the sunset with a little neon hotel california and the interesting thing about the little Neon Hotel California down at the bottom is that's actually done through manipulation of an image. They didn't actually have a neon sign built. So they, you know, they did that, I guess. I don't even know. It could have been on the computer back then. It had to be that it was done by airbrush. So the artwork was actually, yeah, that was actually created artwork made to look like a neon sign. I always thought it was a real sign, but Uh, cut and paste. Yeah. Well, this is before that. This is when you were doing it on paper. So it, it yeah, was you I, actually cut and paste. You used to cut no, the paper yeah, and paste what, it down.
1: You'd had to put pictures in and take a picture of that picture and then yeah. clean it up and then redo it. It was, oh my God, I remember those days.
0: So Don Henley wanted to find a place that could put, portray the Hotel California of the album title. And he wanted to portray it with a slightly sinister edge. Mm. so they actually like i said they went out and they photographed uh three different hotels and and this was the one they selected
1: you know it's funny i didn't realize that you mentioned it but i'll throw it out there that they went from one of these nights to uh hotel california yeah, yeah. great album one of these nights i mean that's what yeah that when you think eagles you play that album i know right. hotel california but one of these nights was a killer album but truly but it's all it's
0: all like back here it's all laid yeah, back yeah. it's almost like the 90s rap you know like laid back <laughs> and bouncing in the sun you know it's yes. that california vibe it doesn't matter whether it's 70s music rap music it all comes through
1: yeah it was, it was uh it was a big album too as well but you can see the transition that you're talking about was huge probably what made them an even bigger touring band hotel california
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, they I'm sure after this, they went on the road nonstop.
1: Yeah. I saw them when this album came out and, you know, they literally they drew in a whole new crowd. Yeah. Uh, You know, in other words, welcome to rock and roll. Right. Right We're the Eagles. We're going to rock with you now.
0: Right. Well, and it's that's what, you know, you think about the audiences and how they break down. Usually the guys are going for the harder rock type of music, you know, so you bring in more guys. If you have a softer music, a little bit more laid back, you generally have more of the ladies. So to mix those up, now you got everybody.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, the Sausage Fest at Rush. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I always hear that. Rush is just a Sausage Fest. (laughs) That's
0: amazing. Hey, if that's your thing, go for it, Tom.
1: There there you go. (laughs) Italian sausage.
0: Yeah. Premio. Premio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All
1: geez. right, I digress. Come on. Back to yeah. the
0: <laughs> So another interesting thing while they were recording the album, Black Sabbath was recording Technical es- Ecstasy in wow. the next studio in Miami. So the Eagles had to stop recording multiple times because Black Sabbath was too loud. And the sound was coming through the wall. The last track of the album, The Last Resort, had to be re-recorded a bunch of times because of that. So Sabbath, uh, you know, was leaking into the Eagles recording session. So that's interesting.
1: That's awesome. Think about, you know, just the bass, the (laughs) pounding of the walls.
0: Yeah, right. The bass and the drums for Sabbath (laughs) is going to go wherever (laughs) it wants.
1: Wherever it wants. Yeah. I'm sure they were scared next door.
0: Yeah, right. Right. Uh, Sabbath was scary back then. And people don't realize that. Like back in the 70s, there was nothing that heavier or, or scary, you know, as Black Sabbath.
1: Right. Like I they, said, they had their image for sure, man. They lived up to it. you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. They played into it. Oh, yeah. All right. So let's get started with the tracks here. We're going to start off with the title track. And I'm sure everybody knows this. This one is Hotel California. So to me, this song, a lot of it is the guitar stuff. You know, as a guitar guy, I listen to the, just the, the the lines and the the way it's weaving in and out with the different parts. It's just amazing. I mean, legendary, legendary song.
1: Oh, beautifully done. I was just thinking as we were listening to the guitar in the opening. Yeah, I wonder if they put that together on a piano because it it fits so well. The beginning of the guitar work to be played on a piano i was just like because you see a lot of times when they're composing a song they'll just stop bouncing it around on a piano like mccartney always did that and then it became yeah
0: cool. yeah i don't know very, very cool yeah yeah definitely they possible. sat down and
1: jammed yeah you want you it depends on where the jam comes from right well
0: that. yeah and the so the chord progression and the basic melody came from don felder so he came up with that part Don Henley mo- wrote most of the lyrics. Glenn Fry contributed a little bit there. And um, the thing was that Henley noticed, he, he was talking about how the hotel had become a literal and symbolic focal point of their lives at that time. And so that was like the theme of the song. And it was from here, this is the first song they had. And then they kind of built out this story around this song by adding on the other songs. So... F- Glenn Fry wanted it to be, you know, Henley says, okay, this is a literal thing about what's going on in our lives. Glenn Fry wanted it to be more cinematic and make it just like a movie. So mm. you have that kind of combination. And I think when you have those two points of views, even though they're kind of diametrically opposed, because one's literal and one's kind of fictional it still adds a lot of flavor to it that I think is with this album, especially with the Eagles a lot, I think what you see is you've got these mixes of things that you wouldn't normally think go together and right. they do come together and they, they come together perfectly. Like everything fits where it belongs, you know?
2: Well,
1: in this song, especially the whole, just the whole layout comes together nicely.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: I, I had heard, you know, this was their in their mindset of what rock and roll was doing to them as people. And you know what rock and roll was back then, the hard drug use, the life on the road, the drinking, you know, just the whole concept behind you know, everybody thinks the great life of a rock and roller. Right. You know, the 70s were hard hitting, you
0: know. No, this is yeah, and this this is, they were going for that. They were going for here's the dark side right. of this, of this lifestyle of excess, you know. And I think a lot of that is like it's them. I think a lot of it too, is them as outsiders, because again, they're not from California, but now they're in California and seeing, you know, it's, it's 1976, there's cocaine everywhere, you know, (laughs) and it's, and it's, I think that they're seeing the effects of that and you see, and now they're talking about, even though the songs are all kind of upbeat, it's, it's still kind of, here's the dark side of, of that life.
1: Right. There's a meaning to them behind it. That's what I had heard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And parts of the uh, parts of this lyrics for Hotel California and for Wasted Time were based on Don Henley's breakup from his then girlfriend, uh, Lori Rodkin.
1: Oh, Lori Rodkin.
0: Yeah. You know her? <laughs> no. No. <laughs>
1: <Do> you?
0: <laughs> no. I just read about her online.
1: <laughs> she must have been hot if he wrote a song about her
0: yeah right (laughs) the other interesting thing about this was so don felder recorded uh they recorded the song about a year after he did the original demo of it so he'd had it for a while and so uh when they're in the session he started to improvise the guitar part at the end and don henley stopped him and said he's got to do it exactly like it is on the demo because he thought it was so good so felder had to call his wife and have her play him the cassette of the demo over the phone
1: so Felder could
0: remember what he played. Yeah, Like, now everybody's, you know, you got your iPhone in your pocket and a lot of musicians record stuff on their phones, and now they got it with them at all times, anywhere they go. You know, it's a whole different thing back then. You know, a phone that was attached to the wall. (laughs) You got to call your wife, (laughs) hope she's home. Honey, find the cassette player, get that tape, play it. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. So but, this think whole... about
1: it, but think about it. You know, it's it's a whole different way of creativity. It really was. Everything wasn't so accessible, like you said, and you had to work at it. You know, even even the recordings of the music now. You know, uh, you know, back in the day, you literally had to be in the studio, like you said. Now you could just pop it in and hey, what do you think it is? You know, send right. a, send it in a text to your bandmates.
0: Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my son writes and records, and he'll do stuff on the computer. It sounds like a band you know he's got drums and everything and he, he doesn't you know it's all electro- a lot of it's electronic but you know he you layers the guitars on top of that and he could create a whole album right in his bedroom oh that's great so uh the other thing is uh one other thing about the album was that it was recorded three different sessions before they uh, or th- this song uh was recorded in three different sessions before they got the right version the version they wanted But the biggest problem they were running into was finding the right key for Henley's vocal. So, you know, it's super important. You got to match up the key of the music to the ability of the the singer. Otherwise, he's not going to be able to hit the notes.
1: Right. You know, one of the keys to everything is singing in key,
0: which nobody really (laughs) realizes.
1: I'm dead serious. It's like, you know, that's why bands or touring bands end up having to bring it down a few octaves later in life because they can no longer sing in the key of the original song.
0: Right. Exactly. And yeah. I just I just saw Pearl Jam last week okay. and they do exactly that. Now, Eddie Vedder is, you know, he's got to be my, around my age is probably around 60. And so he's got a they dropped it down yeah. half a step on a bunch of songs so that it's, you know, he can hit those notes.
1: Yeah. The first band I saw do that and you got to give them credit for even trying it was uh, Zeppelin. Because as a, as a kid, you know, Robert Plant could wail out anything at any time. Right. As you got older, dude, the voice was just cracking. You just couldn't do it. You know, yeah,
0: exactly. Right. Yeah. And that's why you don't see that's why Robert Plant is not ever going to do Led Zeppelin again. No, Because
1: he isn't Led Zeppelin. Because he
0: can't sing that no, stuff. David not. Lee Roth is oh. not going to come out. They, the, You know, there's supposed to be a tribute to Eddie Van Halen at some point. But the rumors are that David Lee Roth is, you know, kind of being a pain in the butt and won't you know, doesn't want to participate or, or uh, yeah. I don't know what the details are, but I think part of it is that he can't sing anymore. He can't sing those high notes that he used to do in Van Halen. I mean, how could you, you yeah.
1: know? I'll, I'll give you a little tip on David Lee. I don't think he ever could sing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like Dave.
1: No, he was great. You know, I, I seen him a couple of times. I really did. Dude, Yankee Rose. I remember those days. With Steve he's, a lot,
0: he's a lot more screaming and, you yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Hamina, I
1: I digress, as we say. Yeah. So yeah, the challenge of getting the the voice and key so important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So important. All right, let's move on to the next track. This one is "New Kid in Town." This one is a lot more in the vein of, you know, traditional Eagles, right? Yeah. It's that laid back. Doo-doo. It's nice. It's pretty. Yeah. And it was the third number one hit for the band, this song. So super popular song. Dug it. And, yeah, exactly. And so yeah. Don, Don Felder said that he, uh, when they came up with the Hotel California concept, other song ideas kind of came from that, including this one. So, the idea is once you arrive in LA and and now you have a first couple of hits, now you're the new kid in town. So uh, it's almost, you know, again, it's kind of outsider's view of what was going on in Southern California in the seventies.
1: And maybe a little bit of insecurity, you know, knowing uh we're working hard here.
0: A little bit, you know, I think uh, it's kind of a mix of, you know, I always remember the, the video for Appetite for Destru- Destruction, where Axel Rose gets off the bus in Hollywood. Mm. You know, you're coming from Iowa <laughs> or Illinois or Jersey or wherever. And now yeah. here you are in the thick of, you know, uh, the Strip and uh, Sunset Strip in California. And it's yeah. it could be quite a, a culture shock for a lot of people.
1: So how this song, right, as I hear it and listen to it, you were just saying, and we're going to discuss it, the idea that one of these nights to Hotel California, what was the difference? If this was still the Eagles without Joe Walsh, it would have been an acoustic, completely acoustic song, super mellow, but you could hear Joe Walsh in the background just throwing in some licks along with the electric. Right,
0: right. And it's subtle. It's subtle, but if you listen, you can hear it in there.
1: Oh, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference. They would have been strumming guitars sitting on stools and doing this in the, uh, so this is where they progressed, and what Joe Walsh brought is a little more background, you know, uh, electric guitar.
0: And it's interesting because Joe Walsh, you know, before the Eagles was in the James gang and then was solo. And so he's a guy who always did his own thing. And now he, but now he's with the Eagles and he's fitting right in. Right. Like he's in that song. But you don't even notice that he's there, really, yeah. unless you really listen for it. And that—that that to me is genius, you know. Yeah. Like, how do you take a guy who's like got these crazy riffs and, and it's always the driving, funky stuff, and he fits into something that's pretty bellow, you know?
1: Well, when you when you think about Joe Walsh, we we both agree, and we've seen him and love him. He, he's truly a guitar genius. He just, oh yeah. He, so you could put him anywhere. He's playing with anybody, anywhere, anytime. He, as a matter of fact, now that I think about it, you know, he used to tour with Ringo because he loved doing it. You know, yeah, and he would play guitar with Lin- Ringo's All Star Band all the time.
0: Well, you know, they're brothers in law, right? Was oh, that right? Yeah, that's Bob why he Barbara does it.
1: Bach, <laughs> Barbara Bach, right? Is something Ringo's wife? No, is.
0: Ringo's current wife is sisters with Joe Walsh's current wife. I don't know uh-huh. how many wives they've each had, but.
1: Oh, I I don't know. I think Ringo's still married to Barbara Bonk or no.
0: Is he? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But they're brothers-in-law. Like they're buddies.
1: (laughs) They're like family. Hey hey, Joe. Hey, Joe, I need you to play guitar for a little while. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's what happened. Anything to get me out of the house, Ringo. I'm good. (laughs) That's the friendships you want, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. I'll see you in a year. Yeah. That's good stuff.
0: All right, so let's take a listen to the next track. This one is "Life in the Fast Lane," and here we're gonna, we're here, we're gonna hear a lot more uh, Joe Walsh on the on the uh, on the record. Yeah, they doubled it up. You hear that? And there's his funk, the Joe Walsh funk, right?
2: No, yeah. was handsome. And she was
0: So good. She oh, had him So this song, I mean, I could I could you can hear that Joe Walsh guitar throughout the song yep. under Henley singing and under all the other riffs. And I could listen to just that. And, and it's just amazing to me. I love that. I love this song.
1: You know, when you when you think about it, you and I, we, we talk a lot about this is sometimes when you listen to a song, you just get caught up in the whole song. And every now and then like I've in my my car I'll just listen I'll focus in on the music what's going on behind the vocals. Right. And it just blows you away sometimes that, you know. Yeah. You know, with the first time I ever started doing that somebody told me to listen to uh, Otis Redding sitting on the dock at a bay. Now you listen to Otis Redding sounds. so sure. but if you hear what the band is playing behind him, yeah. Perfect. It it blows you away. So this is that kind of an album where you can listen to the musicianship
0: of right. what's going on. Right. Like and I agree it's a- with you. It's the difference of actually like listening and hearing each of the parts right? or just kind of listening to the song and driving along and mindlessly, you know, humming the lyrics kind of thing. But yeah, it's so layered and so deep and it's, it's a mix of, you know, it's not super heavy. He's got a teeny little bit of distortion on there, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a kind of a funky, nice funky riff and it's in the, you know, he's in and out of the pocket with it. It's so good. I love that. Yeah, it's catchy. Yeah, so the title for it, Life in the Fast Lane, was inspired by a conversation between Glenn Fry and his drug dealer during a high-speed car ride. Wow. <laughs> hey, let's go. do some blowing. Drive real fast through the yeah. canyon.
1: <laughs> let's do it. But then they might have even had like a Maserati. Who knows?
0: Yeah, <laughs> probably. it was probably like a Lamborghini, Maserati, something super crazy. Yeah. You know, I'm so There's I'm amazed
1: about that. That that you know, I uh Clapton got arrested of driving 170 miles an hour.
0: <laughs> like,
1: dude, you Eric Clapton slow down.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and those cars though, you that's just getting out of second gear.
1: <laughs> <laughs> True with the Maserati, crazy.
2: Yeah.
0: But it's amazing to me that there weren't more like drug-related car accident deaths of rock stars in the 70s. That seemed to happen in the 80s a lot more. Like, uh, uh, who was it? Vince Neil crashed a car and killed somebody. And a bunch of the, you know, 80s bands had those the kind drama, of accidents. The
1: drummer from... Uh, Hanoi Rocks. No, and the drummer from Lost His
0: Arm. Oh, Def Leppard.
1: Def Leppard.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you you would think, but I guess maybe it was the drugs, like... Like went way up in the eighties, maybe I don't know, you know. But it was definitely people were more messed up driving around back then.
1: Yeah, you know what? <laughs> the seventies still had a little bit of mellowness to it, you know. It was like, right. We're, we're rock stars, we're right? Blitzed, but we're right. not going unless you know, even Ozzy didn't drive,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, the eighties was more like like oh i'm messed up what can i do ah you know it was more frantic i maybe, think
1: maybe that's where the mosh pit started in the 80s I'm it, not did. Sure.
0: it yeah. did yeah moshing started in the, in the 80s with well, the there you go there the, you go the punk and the hardcore bands in the early 80s yeah
1: let's get lit up and punch each other in the
2: face beautiful <laughs>
0: so like we said before you know the riff for the uh, life in the fast lane was a, a an exercise a warm-up exercise for joe walsh and the band heard it and they said we got to turn this into a song right. um, so the song describes a man and woman, a man and a woman who had everything but lost it because of their lifestyles so you mm-hmm. know this is that this is where we we talked about that kind of dark it's really a kind of a dark view of california life at the time
1: yeah, very interesting. It really
0: is. Somebody said that, well, you know, the Eagles bandmates may have exhibited some symptoms described in this song. Joe Walsh said, yeah, that's probably true. And I think it was healthy though <laughs> that we realized running around and uh, parties and fast cars were really not. The answer it was kind of shallow approach to the way we're on this planet. And it probably came as a band consciousness, but You know, Joe Walsh is saying that about the 70s. Joe Walsh was pretty fucked up in the 80s, too.
1: (laughs) Well, you do realize that uh, one of the things that the band did, they brought Joe Walsh in knowing his talent, knowing he was a mess. And they got to the point where the Eagles told Joe Walsh, clean up or get out. He talks about it all the time. Yeah. I'm always an eagle. I always want to be an eagle. right? Right. He's so proud that he's an eagle, Joe Walsh. That's one of the loves of his life. But he was a, a full-blown drunk. I believe he's still sober today.
0: Yeah, he is. I know for yeah. a fact that he is. But yeah. he, he really was in the 80s is when they had that talk with him. So it was a little bit later than this. But yeah. he, w- he was in bad shape. He used to go on Howard Stern and come in at, at, at 7 in the morning and be out of his mind, wasted. Remember? Either on, on coke or drunk or whatever.
1: I remember it well. And I, I remember one of the stories he told. And it was great. Glenn Fry told him he could never do Desperado. I remember talking, he was talking oh, right. about don't you ever sing Desperado? And he came in lit up, and the first thing he did was Desperado. Desperado.
0: <laughs> right. And it was amazing. I heard that happen actually. Yeah. You know, Joe Walsh doesn't have the, the traditional best voice, right. but he has an amazing voice. Oh, yeah. Oh, and he sure. sang that song, and I was like, damn, this wow. is so good. So good. <laughs>
1: I remember they yelled at him for it. like don't. But you he's listen. basically
0: like just giving him the finger and saying, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> yeah.
1: Those were the days, man. You just reminded me. Great, great days when Joe Walsh was on Howard Stern. Yeah. So good. How, so good. They loved each other. It was great.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's take a listen to the next one. The uh, next track up here is Wasted Time. So this track uh is don henley and glenn fry trying to do a philly soul torch song so fry later explained on the liner notes in the very best of the eagles that he loved the records coming out of philadelphia at the time and he went and got some sheet music so that he could learn some of those songs and he started creating his own musical ideas with that philly influence so he said Don Um Henley was our Teddy Ben Pendergrass. He could just stand out there all alone and wail and you know, really belt out those songs. So they did this whole big Philly type production with strings and the piano. And he said, again, this is a conscious decision to get away from that country rock. You know, so they're making every effort to change the band and where because the band was over here. Yeah. And now they' now they're making conscious efforts. Doing all these different things, heavier, Philly soul. It, it's a whole yeah. mix of stuff that's just so different, but it's also good.
1: Yeah, I wish I was in the room when Glenn Fry said that because I would have said, he might be your Teddy Pendergrass, <laughs> <laughs> but he is no
0: Teddy Pendergrass. Yeah, I mean, Don Henley's got a great voice, but he is not Teddy oh. Pendergrass, not even he close. Likes- <laughs> Dude. but that's what they're going at least you know but at least they're honest about hey we're we're doing this you know uh, not as a ripoff but in this style yeah. because this is where we're trying to get so you get a whole different sound of this record
1: yeah, i get it getting a little taste of all the genres you know
0: yeah
1: harold melvin and the blue notes come on now the best
0: so that's the end of the first side of the record if you're on the album and so When you uh, flip the record over and start the second side, you get this song. So again, this is a wasted time reprise. If if people are not aware, and again, a an- whole nother sound. This is an orchestral. It's a yeah. classical. It's the strings. Yeah. And you know, and the on the other the the wasted time regular version. Yeah, they've got some strings and stuff, but it's that Philly Soul sound. Yep. Now here you take the strings and you create something that sounds like it's from the Boston Pops or, you know, uh. A, a, intermission at a show or something
1: i wonder who the first person to throw a reprise on their album you know a couple of the greatest yeah ones, Sgt. peppers yeah uh, yeah that's one that comes to mind but i remember a lot of bands would always have that it would just say it was like a, a different version of the same song on the album
0: but and us- the worst
1: thing in the world
0: yeah usually uh, it had little to no lyrics right so there was yeah. Some, but not all. But it's a great, I love I love seeing different versions of songs. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some artists uh, who I follow who do, like they'll do a whole album and then redo the whole album, like acoustic or something like that, or, you know, do it different ways. So it can be very interesting. I like it.
1: Well, when you're saying about the music like that, uh, you know, I've seen Neil Young a couple of times, and you want to talk about pulling something off. I've gone and seen Neil Young doing whole acoustics show oh yeah and then see neil young with crazy horse right and you you can't say which one is better
0: right oh it's two totally different things it's him at a piano or with an acoustic guitar or it's him with the giant stacks of amps (laughs) and the crunching distortion with his he's got this secret amp thing that he has under the stage but uh it's just amazing to see that live
1: same song two different versions i've always had a good time with that i agree yeah
0: Yes, so cool. All right, so let's get back to uh, another one of the rockers. We'll uh, pick it up with this one, track number six. This is Victim of Love. So, again, here's the Joe Walsh influence, another rocker, just, you know, almost heavy, right?
1: Well, you got some slide in there. A
0: little bit, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: But this sound, too, you know, the thing about and this Victim of Love specifically, the Eagles did a lot of songs after this that kind of sound like this, Mm -hmm. you know, on the long run. What the heck is that? I can't remember the name of the song now. But there's a song that sounds very similar to, on the long run, that sounds very similar to Victim of Love. Yeah. Um, so in this one, the lead vocals were a bit of a source of contention because Don Felder came up with the idea for the song and wanted to sing it. And he remembers being promised a lead vocal on the album and thought this would be the place. So Don Henley says they let him record the uh, vocal, but it wasn't good enough, basically. So to distract Felder, the band's manager, Erzing Azoff, took him out for a meal while Henley recorded his version.
1: Yeah. You know, before you even brought this up, I literally said to myself, even with Glenn Fry, whoever else was involved, this was the time where Don Henley became the lead singer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He really, really stepped up and, and kind of took control of the band, I feel yeah
1: yeah he was it was uh, that's this is where he stepped into being Don Henley, right, yeah,
0: and you know i I don't know, I've heard rumors over the years that he was a bit of a dick, but fair. who knows this is kind of a dicky thing though that he did to Felder, but it, it, the other thing was that Don Felder heard it and he goes, look, I can't argue his <laughs> Henley's vocal is way better than mine, so well,
1: that's fair.
0: You know, in the end, uh, you know, they they settled on it. And then th- this is what you have. It's a it's an amazing, cl- uh, legendary song.
1: Yeah, it's a good song. And, you know, Joe Walsh, you know, anytime you can again, a yeah. guitar, again, yeah, it's beautiful.
0: And that decision to make the Eagles more rock was the best decision they ever made, because after this, now they had a string of hit records that were immensely popular with everybody. It was just everywhere. Yep. All right, let's see. Oh, and uh, here's one other thing. Don Henley said that Don Felder demanding a lead vocal on this song would have been the equivalent of him demanding to play lead guitar on the song Hotel California.
2: Wow,
0: that's not nice. Yeah, so basically. So you don't know. Is Henley an asshole or not? You know,
1: define asshole. You know what I mean? uh... You know, is he doing is he doing the best thing by the band? Uh, you know what I mean. Somebody has to be the leader. Somebody has to take charge. You know, when I watched the Get Back documentary, you know, everybody always talked about it was John and Yoko. John was so cool, so funny, so fun the whole throughout the sessions. And Paul was just he just decided that was the time that he was going to be the leader of the band. You know, and you could see it. Was he? Yeah, a dick? I don't well, know.
0: They were rudderless because the manager had died. Yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So somebody had to step up and deal with all the shit, all the biz. Yeah, I got it.
1: And that's the part. Everybody loves the show. Nobody loves the biz. I tell you <laughs> that all the time. So
0: true. So this song, too, Victim of Love, was played in the studio, and it was live. So it was recorded live. Oh, no. They redid the vocals a little bit and the harmonies, but uh, everything else was recorded live, which, uh, you know, was not the way the Eagles were doing it for the most part at that time.
1: Man you know what sometimes when you think about like the stones used to go in and uh you know go and sit in the studio and two takes
0: (laughs) yeah exactly
1: literally do the vocals and and just playing together
0: Yeah. yeah that's
1: beautiful man i'd love to watch that happen
0: all right let's move on to the next track this is uh number seven it's pretty maids all in a row Bit of a fade in here.
1: Never thought about it. I guess it's Henley on piano.
0: I don't know. Might be Joe Walsh.
1: Could be. Have to check that out. I'm
0: not. Yeah, I'm not sure.
1: Took me till I was almost sixty years old to realize a piano was a percussion instrument.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is Joe Walsh on piano. Oh there you go. Yeah, yeah. sorry I had that air in my notes. <laughs> there you go. like we said this is joe walsh on piano and he's actually playing the synthesizer part two instead of guitar and so here's another totally new sound for this band so this is an album where you know while it's an eagles album yeah and still southern california rock it's he's got all these bits that have come in to kind of revitalize the band and throw in some fresh blood and so Joe Walsh said that to make the Eagles really valid as a band, it was important that they co-wrote things and shared things. And he wrote this song as a kind of a melancholy re- reflection on his life. And he wanted to represent it as a statement that would be valid for people from our generation on life so far. So Joe Walsh came in with this song or, and was you know, working with the band to, to put it together and make it an Eagles song uh so, and henley you know,
1: it's great that you know this is where it is if you're going to be a band you got to be a band and that's the one thing i'll always give credit to joe walsh I, in many interviews yeah that i'll always be an eagle
0: right he never like he could have been like a clapton okay. or somebody who just says okay it's my way or the highway because he's always been you know it was the james gang was his band basically yeah, yeah. and then his solo work is him so it's like here now he's in a situation with you know, Glenn Fry, Don Felder, Don Henley, Meisner, everybody in the band is super talented. Yeah. And, you know, now it's not it's not Joe Walsh and everybody else. It's all these guys are all kind of in the same boat. Um, but Henley and Fry love this song and they thought it was really meaningful. And they they helped a lot in terms of the writing and and the the putting the, together of the final version of the song.
1: And you and I have the same feelings about Joe Walsh. He can sing Mary had a little lamb and I'm listening to it.
0: Yeah, and he doesn't yeah. have, you know, the, the traditional best voice, oh, God, you know, like it's like Neil Young. Neil Young doesn't have a great voice, but it's unique and it's his own thing and it, it, the way he does it is so good.
1: Dude, a lot of the superstars, you know, think about Johnny Cash and Bob Seger, right? Bob Seger, how did Bob Seger with the voice he had, right? You think people didn't tell him you can't sing?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. All right, so let's move on to track number eight, and this one is a Randy Meisner song. It's Mm -hmm. Try and Love Again. this song uh, you know again this is to me more kind of old school eagles right
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: um but again another popular song that was you know did fairly well and and i think it's a really nice song here at the end
1: uh, meisner had a great voice
0: yeah, yeah yeah
1: great voice i don't know what happened to him now someday we'll have i don't to know figure, you know, why he got tossed but you know i, I always think of randy meisner because you know, i was in giant stadium and uh he was the guy who sang take it to the limit. Oh, okay. And they did that in giant stadium with you know 75,000 people singing take it to the limit. Yeah. And I, I never That's it was amazing. A moment, moment of my life. I never yeah. forgot that. He you know he had a tremendous voice but underused for sure, which is maybe what happens.
0: Well, that's you know? that's what happens when you got a, a band with five songwriters, you know. Yeah. And, yep. you know, he's the bass player. And usually, you know, most bands, you don't see the bass player as writing as much, but it depends, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin, John Paul Jones wrote a, a bunch of songs and things like that. So, I mean, he's a super talented guy, just yep. a, a tremendous voice and, you know, kind yeah. of a nice mellow song, you know?
1: Yeah, it's good stuff. You know, what? Uh, like you said, picking and choosing who's going to sing the songs, right? It's tough.
0: Or which songs are going to make it on the album? You know, this is an album with nine, you know, so when uh, albums come out today, since they're a lot of times they're not on vinyl, you could have 16 songs. Now they're doing, you know, they're doing eight, nine, 10. You you get like 12 songs was your max, I guess, right? On a record back in the day.
1: Back in the day. Yep.
0: And so you got to pick and choose.
1: Unless it was yes, then it was two songs. Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) One per side.
1: One per side. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i used to love that close to the edge one side the whole song right
0: ridiculous but, you know, you're
1: talking about bands coming together and i always think about it you know uh mccartney and lennon right great songwriters in their own and the difference between being in the band is mccartney always wanted to be on Lennon songs singing even if it was background but lennon never felt he needed to sing on McCartney songs So that whole dynamic is always stuck in my head. John was okay with, hey, it's your song. Go for it. I don't need to be right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's listen to the album closer. This one is The Last Resort.
2: Down in the crowded bars,
0: out for a so this song, you know, I had no idea what this song was about until I researched it. And I, I don't know, I, like now I can hear it in the lyrics, but okay. it's a it's a song about how people from the eastern United States ruined the West when they killed the, the Native Americans. And th- he was saying the further West America goes, the more commercial it gets. I just thought it was a nice little song and I used to hum along to it. Right. I I had no idea. It's about, you know, the white man killing off the native Americans and taking their land.
1: But if the lyrics were like, you killed (laughs) the (laughs) Indian, it might not have worked as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. So, uh, but it just goes to show you how, a lot of times you don't listen to the lyrics, right? You don't pay attention. They and they have no meaning. Of, yeah, right. You don't catch the meaning. Yeah, that's probably right, what it is right. more than you anything.
1: You know, like we always say in life, there's people who hear, and then there's people who listen. And it's right. different things in life, especially
0: yeah. if you're married. Oh, boy. Yeah. And it's... <laughs> so but a nice little a nice little ending you know very very nice little song by uh don henley and uh you know a nice ending to the album i, I love it uh so there it is hotel it california is. by the eagles
1: i talking about hotel california by the eagles
0: there you go hey, i got
1: i got two things to say i told you earlier i'm gonna give you my opinion okay when this album came out i i couldn't listen to it enough i could just constantly play it right I will say the radio stations have worn out every single one of those songs on that album to the point of becoming unlistenable. <laughs> I, I mean it. Even Hotel California, if you keep your radio on, it's coming on five times a day. Right. It's just, it's just one of those great tunes you always want to hear. And then I look at it and I go, nah.
0: See, that's the one thing I think that's way better about music now than back then is that back then you had very limited options of what you were going to listen to. In most oh, yeah. places, you had one rock station or maybe yep. two. Yep. And those stations play the same songs over and over and over again. If you listen to a, a rock station in the 70s for 12 hours, you'd hear Hotel yep. California three times.
1: That's what I'm saying. It was great. I loved the album. I love playing it in my room, you know, great sound system, rocking. And then after a while, you, every way you went, it was on. Yeah. And uh, you know, you were talking about rock stations, and the reason those songs were played over and over and over, you know, you go back to those days, it was called Payola. You know, the record companies needed their songs to be played, right? So envelopes or brown bags were dropped off on people's desks, you know, in the radio
0: stations. Yep.
1: Oh, yeah. Hey, play our song, please. Yeah, yeah. Go, go get your wife something nice. Right. Yeah. yeah, and
0: that now, yeah, and now, and you know, actually, when I was in I was in college in the uh late 80s. And I interned at a record company, and one of the jobs we had was to call the radio stations and talk up the songs. We weren't given bribes, but
1: <laughs> somebody was. <laughs> somebody was. It wasn't somebody us. Was. It just wasn't you. Yeah, it wasn't me. All
0: but right. the oh. thing is, now you got so many different alternatives. So you could, you know, you got oh. curated. Sp- Spotify playlists that change every week, which I love because I discover a lot of new music that way. Best. you the got best. Sirius, you've got regular radio, you've got different sources on, you know, internet and SoundCloud and, and TikTok even is, you know, breaking I'll, music. i so. out
1: to you. You know, I, I started using Amazon Music because I have Prime. Right now, you say what you will, just killer. After two weeks, they have it up there and say, here just click this button to hear your music right and i mean i sometimes i sit there and i go
0: wow they do a great job you know the the you know the algorithms do a great job of actually picking music for you (laughs) and that's what
1: an algorithm yeah yeah
0: but it's good because you know like i and i usually listen to spotify but i get a there's a couple of playlists i get each week new releases and then um i forget what the other one is It might be like the bands I like and their new music, but it's a great way to find new stuff, you know, that you haven't heard before. And so it's a good, uh, I think there's a lot more opportunity for discovery these days.
1: And the music is still alive and well. It's amazing. Yeah. I I leave you with this on my end, Don Seckler. One of my favorite rock and roll trivia questions. I'm not looking to stump you, (laughs) but how did the Eagles come together as a band? Where was the first time they played together as a band?
0: Ah. First time. Well, I do actually know this answer. They All were right, Linda man. Ronstadt's backup band.
1: They were Linda Ronstadt's band. Yes, they were. <laughs> there you go. Good job, man. You
0: can't stump me, Tom. Come on. Stump, <laughs> the, stump the Don. Stump the Don. <laughs> there there you know. All right. All right. That's it. Don. Nice job, man. Yeah, thanks. Hotel yeah. California. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned. uh I don't know when the next episode is going to be, but we'll get to it eventually
1: yeah when we get these two old guys back on a computer
0: yeah so click the buttons do the things check it off like it share it whatever
1: guys tell a friend delete us whatever you got to do whatever okay
0: all right take care thanks for listening bye